Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We're so glad you joined us today. If you've been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, I'm so happy to be back this week. I think I've said that three times now, and I'm just saying it for repetition's sake, for emphasis, that I'm really happy to be home. And you know what? 28 degrees in Florida was actually like a little too hot for me. I said, I I'm, can't wait to get off the plane to just put on my jacket and to feel the fresh, crisp air. You might disagree, but that's okay. Those are on the minor things. But you can say, thank you, Pastor Jonathan, for bringing home a little of the warmer weather because we missed all of that wonderful slow snow the last two weeks. If you have your Bible, would you stand with me and turn to Luke chapter 2 as we jump right into God's Word. Luke chapter 2, and we'll begin reading at verse 41. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. If you're with me, shout amen. If you're there, say, I got it. And if you're not there, well, just look up on the screen. We can't wait all day. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 says, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. And underline or note this, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Verse 46. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. How old was Jesus? Twelve. Exactly. Verse 48. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them, and get this, and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And then here's verse 52, kind of our key verse that we're going to work our way towards. It says this, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. I pray that the pages of scripture would come alive in our hearts. Father, help us to understand what your spirit wants us to learn today. Uh, that we might grow not only in wisdom and in stature, but in favor with God and man. We ask you all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Verse 41, we see that every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And the Passover festival is the feast that commemorated the deliverance of the nation of Israel from Egypt. Now, in verse 41, it doesn't say that Jesus also went with them. It just lets us know that his parents went as usual. 
But now Jesus is 12 years old, as we're told in verse 42, and they attended as usual. So here's the thing. At 13 years of age, a Jewish boy could become, we would say, a son of the commandment or a full member of the synagogue. And this could have been a year of preparation for Jesus for that occasion. Hence, why perhaps, if he didn't accompany them all those 11 years, on the 12th year now, because he's about to be 13, this is the year where he's going to kind of get his feet wet in the synagogue, get used to what's going on, and, and get himself ready for when he turns 13. We could say it's discipleship. He's training to get ready for what comes next. Um, but we see in verse 43 something interesting happens. His parents are making their way home. That's not interesting. That's pretty normal. That's what you do after the festival. But Jesus stays behind. He stays behind because we know we read it. He wants to be in his father's house. But his parents are traveling. Sometimes the women and children would go ahead. The fathers or the men would stay behind. And in between, you know, if Mary's at the front and uh, Joseph's at the back, Maybe Mary thought, well, maybe he made his way and found, you know, Joseph, the other men. Maybe Joseph's there thinking, well, Jesus is probably up with his mother. And they're traveling. They're going back home to Nazareth. Well, the parents arrive home, and we read it. They realize, Where, where's our son? Uh, where's our son? I have a, a story to share. Of I don't know how old I was exactly, but we were in... Uh, I think it was Kmart at the time. This is back when I think it existed, unless it was a different store. But I remember there was a round clothes rack, you know what I'm talking about, filled with dresses or something that went down to the floor. And uh, we were at the store with my mom and my two sisters. I thought it was fitting for me to uh, just disappear <laughs> into the round clothes rack. And I thought this was like the greatest hiding spot ever. And first, I just remember camping out right in the middle, holding the pole. I hear my mom say, Jonathan, my sisters, Jonathan, they're calling me, calling me. And I thought this was even funnier because no one could find me. Then I heard them call my name on the PA. No, uh, Jonathan Mana, if you are there, would you please come? Your mom is looking for you, and we don't know where you, Jonathan Mana. And I get, I'm like, oh, that's my name on this. This is so cool. I'm famous too. And, I'm, and I remember the store manager was the, the one who found me. And he, I could hear them going through the clothes racks. I even saw my mom's you know, feet walk by, and I was like... <laughs> and when the store manager was the one who found me, I was like, uh-oh. And they're like, my mom, Jonathan, what, what are you thinking? And my sister's like, mom, mom, we're really upset. You know, mom was really upset. She thought you were lost or someone took you. And uh, with our son, I mean, I see the same characteristics in him as well. Uh, but you see, as parents, if you're a parent in the house, you can relate with Mary and Joseph. Yes? Let me see your hands. Right? Maybe you, you don't have a child like me. Maybe you have one who's worse, but that's okay. Mary and Joseph, I'm so glad I can relate to them and be like, so, you know, as a parent too, I'm, I'm not crazy. Sometimes I go, where, where? and I remember we were at the beach and I couldn't see my, my son because they run so fast now at age five. Priscilla was sitting on the chair way back. I was with Abby and, and Josiah. They were playing in the sand. This is on our vacation. And I remember I lost sight of him for a second. And, and he, the, the other father was with me. I didn't know them, but he knew I had some kids there. 
when he saw me panically, frantically looking, he just said, oh, he's with, with your wife. And he was behind someone else. So then I was like, oh, okay. So <sighs> I didn't lose him. But Mary and Joseph had that same feeling, that same experience where they're like, where is he? And they searched for him for three days. I mean, that's pretty crazy. That's a long time to try to find your son. And they're looking, and I'm so glad that I can find solace in knowing that I'm not the only parent that, that can perhaps lose a child, but Mary and Joseph are great examples in the Word. And they, they do everything they can, but they couldn't find him. And then they go back. They go back. And I love what we find, this picture. So let, let's forget that the parents are upset, that they're frantically looking for him. But let's just focus on Jesus for a second, this 12-year-old boy wonder. In verse 45, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. So Jesus, even though he was 12 years old, had a thirst for knowledge. And I just want to say this, we have young ones in our church. Let us never think they're too young or too immature to have a, a real thirst after the things of God. In fact, we should be paving the way for the next generation under us. Every generation here has a responsibility, whether you, whether you accept it or not. It's that we are paving the way for the next generation. So here's Jesus. Whether his parents brought him or not, maybe they said, you're too young, but on your 12th birthday, you're coming with us. And he's saying, I can't wait. I can't wait. And he comes. He takes full advantage of the opportunity. He's listening to everything that is going on and asking questions. And then here's something else to further that in verse 47. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So I could just envision this conversation. And here's Jesus, a 12-year-old boy among teachers even in the temple. And, and they are wowed. They're saying, this guy knows a lot. Like, wow, this boy Jesus is, is special. There's something special about him. Picture this scene with me, if you can. And now picture his parents showing up. And they kind of burst his bubble and burst his whole world that he's enjoyed for the last few days. And his parents show up and are now saying, <clears throat> excuse me. And, you know, just it doesn't matter who's around. Jesus, what do you think you're doing? Why are you here? Don't you know we were frantically looking for you? And so his parents approach this scene from a human understanding and a parental one at that. You see, uh, I'm so glad for the humanity of Mary and Joseph. I have to say it again. Because as a parent, sometimes it's not apparent what is actually going on in the life of a child. As a parent, it might not always be apparent what is going on in the life of a child. You see, Jesus was developing this thirst for knowledge, the knowledge of God even. And his parents were too caught up in the moment. They were too caught up in that moment. So they had to let Jesus know that, hey, this is not okay. And I want to say this, uh, a little note about parenting. You see, a good parent knows to place certain expectations on their children. 
A good parent places expectations or certain expectations on their children. So where do I get that from in our text? Well, she says, you should have been with us. And I think she's right. Mary was right in her, in her expectation of her son. Because though Jesus was fully God, uh, he was still fully man. So as a 12-year-old boy, you better be with your mom and dad. And so I just want to encourage you parents, don't, don't let your children off too easy. It's good and it is okay to place expectations on them. And they might kick and scream, but that's okay. And I'll, let me use a, a fresh example. During worship, my son was not wanting to cooperate. I had to sit down during the last song. Let's be real. Can we be real this morning? Or else I'm, I'm not here for fake church. But I, I had to sit down and say, you sit up right now. This is unacceptable. Now I had to come on stage and then I saw him lying on the floor. So here's something. We set the expectation before we show up to church. And we say, we expect when mommy's leading worship that you're going to sit down or you're going to participate, actually. That's the first expectation. But if it's too much or you get too tired, you can sit down. But you have to respect what's going on in the room. So after church, I already know I'm going to have, a, have to have a chat with him. We had to have one, a chat on vacation because we say this is what we expect. If we never let the child know what the expectation is, how will they ever know? And so we let them know this is the expectation, but now, you, did you live up to it, yes or no? And obviously I don't speak to my son necessarily in those terms. I say, good or bad, how did you do, good or bad? Did you do what mommy and daddy said, yes or no? There's just very simple answers. He always knows the, the right answer. And then we deal with it accordingly. And so here's just a little side note. Parents, set the expectation in the home first. Set the expectation. I expect your children to not like it, though. Know that. And know this, that it's okay. Okay, that's just a side note. But Mary had an expectation that, no, Jesus, we traveled home. You should be with us. And so now Jesus does have an answer for his mom. But, but we're going to get to that in just a second. And so we find here in verse 49, Jesus says, But why did you need to search? Why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? You see, in, in speaking or answering his mother in this way, Jesus always answered a question with a question. And in so doing, Jesus moves his mother Mary from her natural thinking as a mom to the supernatural reality that he is ultimately God's son in this particular case. If your child says, well, I'm God's son, I'll listen only to him, you can take care of them. <laughs> now, no, I didn't say slap them, I just said take care of them, however that looks. And you see, uh, Jesus at 12 years old was where he was. He already understood that he stood in a special relationship with God. Jesus understood at 12 years old that he stood in a special relationship with God. And this is an important factor in Jesus' life. Verse 50 tells us his parents had no clue what he was talking about. His parents didn't fully understand what Jesus meant. 
And you see, for, for his parents, his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, Jesus' Jesus's messiahship would be revealed to them little by little, bit by bit. And then they would fully understand, oh, I get it. Mary, as a mom, said, you know, I gave birth to him, but it wasn't through Joseph. It was through the seed of the Holy Spirit that he was conceived. I understand now that God chose me and Joseph gave us this wonderful responsibility. But Lord, he's, he's your son. He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But his parents didn't see it when he was 12 years old. And listen, you will have children and, and you will not even know per, perhaps the potential that God has and the purpose God has on their lives. But here's the thing, bit by bit as a parent, I pray that God would give you the wisdom and the discernment to see all the qualities, the giftings. You know those things that really annoy you about your children that are hard to deal with if you have a strong-headed child or a strong-willed child, I should say? Uh, I think it's the right thing, but maybe it's just pointed in the wrong direction for now. Let kids be kids, but we need to, as parents, steer them and point them in the way they should go and train them up in the godly way. But get this, when we take those things, like, oh, my child is so hard to deal with, but we align those things for God's purpose, guess what? For the kingdom, they're going to do great work, and they will, they will take great ground because of their, their will and their nature. And that's what I'm learning to see through my kids. There are things that frustrate me, but I have to say, Lord, as this son grows up or as my daughter grows up, um, how, I'm trying to envision how will you use that for your purpose, for your glory, for your honor. And it actually excites me. It still frustrates me sometimes. But I, 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 I'm excited to see the progress, right? Some of us as parents, we might expect perfection, um, I, don't, I don't require that for my children. I just expect progress. We're not in this Christian race, this journey for perfection. We're in it for progress. Every day I become more like Jesus. Progress, progress, progress. And so verse 50, they didn't understand what Jesus meant, and that's okay. But in verse 51, I want to point out this very important thing about Jesus. So if you're a child here, a kid, and your parent is even in the same room today, listen to this. You're not off the hook yet. Then he, Jesus, returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. So Mary said, we expected you to be with us. And I love, even though Jesus had a specific explanation or answer, well, why did you look for me? You, didn't you know I should be in my father's house? But then he was obedient and still went home. And you see, children, it's important to honor and obey your father and mother. The Bible promises long life for us who do. And so let us make sure that we catch that this morning. Don't just gloss over it. And the next part of that verse says, And his mother stored all these things in her heart. His mother stored all these things in her heart. You know, my mom died when I was 23, but I remember reading through her journal, and I never knew that, like, simple family events or things, like, they meant so much to her that she had to write about them and record them in her, her diary, her journal. And I thought, wow, what, I wonder what Mary was holding on to. But you see, here's the truth. You might not understand everything. Mary didn't understand everything of what was going on with Jesus at 12 years old, but she remembered it. She remembered it. 
And so you could just imagine as Jesus grew up and his ministry started, all of those things that she remembered probably began to make sense, yes? So with our children, let's take a journal. Write things down, things that make you smile, things that frustrate you. Perhaps don't, don't give them that part of the journal, though, after you die. My mom didn't do that part. But um, what we see is that there's something incredible. Though you might not see it in your children, you don't understand it, just remember it. Remember it. Say, yeah, yeah, I remember my child being very much this way, and now as they're older, I see how it's being used for God's glory, how it's being used. Maybe it's not being used for God's glory, but you know it was given to them for God's glory. I think of people like Mariah Carey. I'm a musician at heart. My wife's more the vocalist, so she's kind of taught me to listen a little more to vocalists. But Mariah Carey, what a gift from God that is in her right here to sing. I mean, not so much late, lately. I remember uh, so many other singers who I know there's an anointing on their voice. I can hear it, but they're not using their gifting for God's glory. They're using it for their own. And so I'm not going to get into that because I, I get very passionate about that kind of stuff. But we need to make sure that what God has gifted us or our children with, we, we use it for the right purposes. Amen? And here's verse 52. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. What that means is he continued to advance intellectually and physically. Obviously, at 12 years old, you're right about to go through those growth spurts and all of those kind of things, but also making spiritual and social progress. So Jesus was a kid, but he also began to progress. There's the progress. We're not in it for perfection, progress. And so we see that he's growing in many areas intellectually. He asked questions. He had a thirst for knowledge. Physically, he was growing, obviously, and making spiritual and social progress. For the word said he grew in favor with God and with all the people. And today, with God's help, in the little time we have left, I just want to focus on finding the favor of God. That's the title of today's message. Finding favor with God. And you see, the word in Greek is charis. And the, ben the benevolent action of him stooping down to us in his kindness to reach us in our need and convey upon us a benefit. You see, when you look up the word favor in a concordance, a concordance is a really big book. Or if you have it, you can use an online version. There's one of them that I found for free once. But you just look up the word favor, and it gives you the, the Greek number in the concordance. So then you go back, and you see in the original Greek what that word is. So for us, favor is charis, this definition I just read. But you know what? When you look up the word grace, you find the exact same definition. It points back to charis. I'm going to read it again. Charis, the benevolent action of him stooping down to us in his kindness to reach us in our need and convey upon us a benefit. So how do you find favor with God? How do you find favor with God? And I want to share that with you. Number one, favor through the Savior. 
You find favor through the Savior. You see, Jesus, at 12 years old, already understood that he stood in a special relationship with God. And in Luke 2.49, Jesus' first recorded words in Luke's gospel were this, Didn't you know that I must be in my Father's house? Did you know in Luke's gospel, those are the first recorded words of Jesus. Mom, Dad, why did you search for me? Didn't you know I should be here? And so the first way that we find favor with God is through Jesus, our Savior. Now, that's not his example of him being 12 years old. Uh, I need you to know today that Jesus today makes it possible for you and me to stand in special relationship with God. God began showing you his favor or grace, synonymous, his favor, even before you were born again. And here's Romans 5.8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So I know there's a, a gospel about favor and just name it and claim it. And people who receive gifts, big gifts, and, and I mean, hey, if that's from God, receive it, but don't boast about it. And, and favor has become this thing like, I have favor, you don't, because favor ain't fair. And, and to be honest, favor is not fair. See, God is a just God. He never said, I'm a fair God. I mean, we're all going to receive the same reward, eternal life, whether you were saved 20 years ago or five minutes ago, right? You follow me? So God is, he's just, but it, he never said he's going to be fair necessarily. But a lot of people say, oh, favor ain't fair. And I have to somewhat agree with that. But I say it depends on your motivation behind what you're saying. And I believe as a son and daughter, we should expect God's favor in our lives. Why? Because of my relationship with who? Jesus. And because of that relationship, I have everything I need. And you see, to the world, it might not make sense, and I don't expect it to. They don't walk or live in a right relationship with God. They go about pursuing whatever their heart desires, and it leads them a lot of times down a road of trouble and chaos. But when we are sons and daughters of God, we have this special benefit because of our relationship with God. Therefore, I can say, the favor of the Lord is upon me because it is available to me. See, salvation is the greatest expression of God's favor that you and I will ever have or need. Salvation is the greatest expression of God's favor. You see, therefore, God's favor isn't earned. You might say, well, what do I have to do? How do I get favor with God? What do I have to do? Just tell me. Do I have to serve more? Do I have to give more in the offering? No, you don't. It isn't earned. It is freely given and it is received. God grants us his favor when we walk in relationship with him. Does it mean life is always going to be a walk in the park? Absolutely not. But as you walk through those hard times, guess what? You recognize the favor of God is still with me. The favor of the Lord is still with me. The grace of God is still with me. You see, I remember when we had to buy our house. We live in a, an end-unit townhome. Nothing fancy, but it, it gets the job done with our three kids now. And I remember 
looking at my wife, looking at our finances, talking to a mortgage broker, and repeating that process about a hundred times, and saying, can we really afford to do this? Can we really afford to, to do this? And it was a new home build, and for some reason, it was the last lot left on our street. And of course, in our human nature, we look at that and we say, well, what's wrong with the property or the lot? What's wrong with the house? Because they already started uh, the construction of it. We thought, why did nobody else buy it? And we come up with all these crazy things uh, and, and scenarios. And, and we, I just said, I don't know, Priscilla, why no one else bought it. But maybe God wants us to have it. Did you ever think of that? She's like, well, but it just seems too good to be true or unreal. Uh, so... Here's what we did, because we couldn't see that as being God yet. We said, okay, we met with uh, the sales office people, and uh, with godly advice from, from a friend here in the church, we actually offered less than what the builder was selling the, the, lot, the home for. And when I said to the, the guy there, I said, put the offer in, but we're, not off, like, we're making a lower offer uh, on a new build. And he said, I'm sorry? It's like, yeah, we're going to give $15,000 or offer $15,000 less than the asking price. And he's like, uh, I'm sorry, nobody ever does that. Like on a, maybe a used home, yes. And I said, listen, can you do it or not? He said, okay, yeah, we'll put it through, but I've never seen that done. So that was our way of saying, okay, Lord, if that lot is really for us, then they're going to accept it. As crazy as that sounds and as crazy as that sales guy made us feel, I said, but that's it. And if we don't get it, then that's fine. Well, three days later, we got a phone call. Priscilla gets all nervous, and she's trying to read my, my facial expressions and body language. But I tried to stay neutral, so she would be kind of wondering what's going on. And I, and I simply said to her, okay, all right, thank you so much. She's like, what, what did he say? What happened? I go, they accepted it. And they gave us $5,000 of design money to like put hardwood floor, do whatever we want. And she looked at me, she goes, is that true? Like, is this a joke? Did they really accept it? And I'm like, yes. Why would he call? He told us he's never seen that in his life before. And so I just hung up. When I hung up with him, I shared the news with Priscilla. I go, favor ain't fair. <laughs> and I said, I don't know why nobody else bought the lot, but I only see it now as this, that God had... He knew that we would need to be closer to the church. We were living in Burlington at the time. That's way too far to be able to drive closer to this church. And, and I just said, thank you, Lord. Nothing can stop the favor of the Lord. It's unstoppable, church. And I want you to know this. If I, if I wasn't living in right relationship, I would never expect God to, to open up the doors of, or those windows of blessing for us. But here's the thing. God wants to pour out his grace and his favor over everyone. And that's why we, we know his heart is for people. That's why we, though I say, well, favor ain't fair, and it's a good church expression we throw around, perhaps, but I don't want the favor to stop with me. I want that favor to overflow to my neighbor. I want it to extend to those that, that don't know God, that don't know who Priscilla and I are, and our testimony, those who live on my street. There, there is... A favor, but it doesn't stop with me. I want it to flow. I want it to flow. I want people to come to know my Jesus. And they might say, how did you get this house? 
I'll say, well, you know what? You have about an hour and a half because I love the details. I'll tell you every single way God made it possible for us to live here. And, and I stand and I look back and I say, God, you are so good. You are so good. But without him in your life, it's hard. Without him in your life, it's going to be difficult. Though nothing can stop the favor of God, the only thing I think that can is you and your decisions. And so, number one, how do you find favor with God? It's through the Savior. Favor through the Savior. And God's favor flows out of relationship. You don't have to do anything special to obtain it. He's a good father, and you can be sure he'll take care of you. I mean, if the birds of the field have enough to eat, why do we have to worry? God said in Matthew 6, surely I will take care of you. Favor. God's favor surrounds you. Did you know that? God's favor surrounds you and affects every area of your life. Psalm 5 verse 12. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You bless the righteous. And you surround them with your favor as with a shield. So everywhere you go, all around you, all about you, the favor of God. All around you, the favor of God. I've actually heard a pastor say and talk about how foolish it is when Christians thank God for a parking spot. I disagree. And I think that, and I pray, especially with three young kids, and if it's raining or snowing, Lord, grant us favor to find a good parking spot. And you know what? More often than not, we get it. And I thank God. And you see, a lot of times we expect God's favor in the big, crazy ways, perhaps like my story of a house. But, but let's just take it step by step in every day. Lord, your favor as I go to work. Lord, your favor as I get home and I have to see with my, sit with my kids at dinner and say, how was school? And I hope he was a good boy. You know, this is every day. So, yes, favor is great in those big things that we trust and expect God for. But how about favor in the everyday? Lord, just help me get along with, with my coworker. Help me to not get so excited in a negative way with, with my coworker or my boss. Help me to, to show the love. Lord, let your favor be encamped all around me. And you know what? As long as you do your part, God is doing his all of the time. Again, Psalm 5:12. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous, and you surround them with favor as with a shield. As with a shield. So number two, number one, we said savior, uh, favor through the Savior. Number two is favor through your behavior. You see, we're talking about finding favor with God, but also with man. Also with man. Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4 says this, never let loyalty and kindness, did I underline them there for you? Oh, I bolded them. Loyalty and kindness leave you. Never let it leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Verse 4, then you will find favor with both God and people and you will earn a good reputation. Favor through your behavior. Listen, you can't earn God's favor, but to have favor with people, yes, God gives you, there's a special grace on, on your life that you can get along. I don't know if you believe that. 
Uh, but you can get along with everyone in your life. And it comes down to your choice. And, and I've been in tough situations where I was ready to just, I mean, like, wow, I can just take this and do an old school Canadian hockey fight and let's go at it at work, not, not in hockey. But with God's grace or God's favor in my life, I could go to work, though I disagree, though the person annoys me, not at church, by the way, I can get along. It doesn't mean I agree on every point or every aspect. It doesn't mean I even like the person. But I can get along as a coworker. We can work together to get a job done, can't we? And here's my, my charge to you as believers. We are to lead the way. And I know I said this, and I've been on this rant for a while. But it ties into loyalty and kindness. And those also tie into the fruit of the Spirit, which should be evidenced in our lives. Yes? Yes. Loyalty and kindness. You lead the way. You know Jesus. You lead the way. Don't expect the other person to initiate kindness towards you at work or wherever it might be. You lead the way. And you see the difference. And then people will say, well, why are they so different than me now? Or what is different about them? And you have an opportunity, an open window to share about your relationship with Jesus. But here's the thing. So favor through your behavior will always tie back to favor with your Savior. Here's the key thing. So there are two points, but they're really one. But if you don't know how to behave at work, you don't know how to be loyal to your worker, your boss, your employer, you don't know how to be a loyal friend or a loyal spouse, you don't know how to show kindness, well, guess what? It's going to be hard to find favor in the eyes of man. And people want, like I know at work, there are, we call them the suck-ups or the brown-nosers or whatever term they use today, that there are those people that all they want to do is find favor with their boss and they step on your head to get there, right? Just to, to get to the next level. There are people who do that. Well, how do we respond to them? With loyalty and with kindness. You say, you know what, Lord? You are the one who is in control. You are the one. Here's a testimony again from my life. When I was at FedEx, uh, I didn't even apply for the, the permanent position. It was given to me just because I kept my head down and I worked hard and I basically sweat for every shift for eight hours. I just did my work. I didn't care about gossip. I didn't care about, you know, whatever else is going on with the other couriers and all that stuff. I just worked hard and I never forget the day. I didn't even apply for it or ask for it because there is a hierarchy about applying. But then my boss said, you know what? We want to give it to you. And I, it was more money and I had to work less hard. <laughs> so I said, I receive it. Thank you. When does it start? And she said, tomorrow you're good to go. So God's favor, but it's linked to your behavior. It starts there with men, with people, but it's also God cares about your your loyalty and your kindness. I don't know if you understand that. Because when we read this verse in Proverbs 3, verse 4, speaking about loyalty and kindness, then you will find favor with both God and people. And here's the, the side benefit of being loyal and being kind to people. You will, you will gain or you will earn a good reputation. And I don't know about you, but in, in, in a career... There's nothing like a good reputation. There's nothing like a good reputation. So in your behavior, lead the way. 
you will see favor with men and with God. But it ties back to the favor we have as a child of God. And it's a benefit that not many people get to experience unless they know this relationship. Here are just some closing thoughts. See, I said favor ain't fair. And we get the word favorite, right? From that word favor. Um, it's unmerited grace. But God has no favorites either. I don't know if you know that. Acts 10, 34 and 35. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, He accepts those who fear Him and do what is right. So you see here, here's the beautiful picture today, is that as a child of God, I receive God's favor and grace on my life. To the world, they don't have that. They don't understand that. But the beautiful thing is, it's for everybody to receive. That's God's heart. In Acts chapter 10, the context there was the ministry was, was uh, crossing new borders now. It was going from God's chosen people, Israel, to now the Gentiles, which traces to us today. This is, this is the revelation in Acts 10 where everything began to change for the rest of the world because now it was expanding from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so this is God's heart. Favor is not just for this house, although we thank God for the favor. It's for the world. It's for the world. God wants people to know His grace. And church, we need to operate in our area of grace that we've been given. You see, I'm not a good cook. My wife far surpasses me in that. I'm a good musician. She's a way better singer. But when, when I try to do things that I've not been graced to do, I find it very difficult. So let us focus on where the areas that God has graced us in, given us a special grace or a special favor and you will see the doors open wide for both for you, but also with other people. And let God use you in a, in a special way. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet this morning. Favor. Nothing can stop the favor of our God. You might say, but I'm not even qualified, but you got the job anyways. And on paper, perhaps it didn't make sense. But at the end of the month, you had enough money to pay your bills. You see, give it all to God and say, Lord, I, I trust in you and I will walk in the favor of the Lord that is on me. You see, as sons and daughters of God, we should expect that his favor would rest upon us. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes and bow your heads as we contemplate the word today, favor, favor of God. You see, some of you, I believe, have been trying to do things or to, to acquire things, your own method, your own way. Maybe it's to find a spouse. Maybe it's to get promoted at work. Maybe it's to buy a house. But you're just trying on your own effort and you're not relying or asking God to open up the windows of heaven. And you're not trusting him as well as a result. Today, the invitation is simple. Right where you're standing is just to say, God, I receive your grace. Lord, I receive 
your favor over my life. And I walk in that out of this place. Today, God wants to pour it out on you. Maybe you've never experienced the favor of God and you feel like everyone else gets blessed. Everyone else gets the benefit. But maybe you feel like, what about me, God? What about me? Today, I want you to know that as you place your full confidence and your full trust in God, I truly believe that there will be a great exchange. Your disappointment for his appointment with grace and favor. And I believe God is here in a special way. I sense his anointing here even now. And I'm not going to ask if no one would move from their seat as we're standing. Maybe you're here today and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. And you've heard me say that you get favor through the Savior, Jesus Christ, without wasting any time. If you're here and you would like to have a personal relationship with Jesus and invite him to be Lord of Lord, King of Kings of your heart, would you just slip your hand up real quick in this place? If there's anyone here, we would love to pray with you. And I'm not going to take too much time this morning, but I, I just want to give opportunity if there's anyone here today. Secondly, you might be here and you just, you need intervention. You need God's grace. You need God's favor because it seems like everything you touch breaks. It seems like everything you try to do fails. And if you're here, I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand where you're at. If you say, Pastor, would you pray for me today? I just need, I need something different. I see hands up all over this place today. And we're going to pray right where you're standing. And I believe that as we pray, that great exchange will happen. God's grace, it's freely given, so freely receive it today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every hand that's raised today. Lord, it's not raised so I can see. It's raised to the heaven because that's the source of everything that we need. And Father, today I pray that you would move upon your people. Lord, as we lift our hands, we, Lord, are exchanging our disappointment and our failure for your grace and favor. Father, I pray that everything that we've tried to do in our own strength, Father, we simply say, God, I've had enough and I give it over to you. Father, would you come now? And have your perfect way in every heart, in every situation. And God, I thank you for your grace and your favor. That we don't have to earn it. Lord, we don't have to do anything special to de deserve it. But God, when you sent your son, you simply made a way where there was no way. So Father, we thank you. And it's with hands lifted up to the heavens that we receive today. Everything that you want to pour out. Everything that you want us to get today, we are recipients of your favor and your grace. So God, may it be upon your sons and your daughters today. Father, I pray for the favor of the Lord. Father, let it open doors that are seeming impossible for us. Lord, even as a church, as we seek to make a difference in our community, God, I pray for favor, not just with uh, leaders in our community, but God, with the people, the community itself. May they look upon Weston with an affection that is not, uh, not common. Lord, let it be an uncommon love that people have for this church 
Because we desire to change our community for your glory and for your goodness, God. So, Lord, give us that special grace that we need as a church. And, Lord, as we go from this place, Lord, give us that special favor and grace that we need at work, Lord, at home, as we, as we raise children, as we take care of parents, as whatever the scenario might look like. Father, we don't do it alone. But we do it in the grace that you have given us with the favor of God on our lives. Lord, mark us from everyone else, I pray. And, and Lord, we just want to honor you in this place. We give you all the honor and all the glory. Lord, your grace and favor in our lives is not to, to put us on a pedestal or to elevate us, but Lord, that we might point to Christ, that we would give you all the glory. So we ask you all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.